Welcome everyone, it's episode 19 of Honestly Unbalanced and this week we're speaking to the wonderful Mia Togo. So Mia moved to London not that long ago it seems, from the United States and people immediately fell in love with her. Before I met her, I kept seeing people come out of her class like saying, oh my god, where has she been? She is wonderful, she's incredible. And then Holly uh, recently did a mentorship with her and I got more of the same. She's incredible, she's wonderful. And so I thought we had to get her on the podcast. Uh, so Mia now obviously lives in London teaching at Tri Yoga, but she also is still a yoga work senior teacher, a teacher trainer, a 300 hour mentor, and leads retreats and workshops all around the world. She creates a space for her students to explore their truth, a place where they can remember that their worth does not need to be earned, bought, or outsourced, but that true love comes from within. In a world where we're taught to push away from discomfort and attach to pleasure, Mia encourages students to honor what is coming up rather than override it. So fingers crossed you love this episode we did and I think it will be inspirational for everyone, especially including yoga teachers and practitioners. Enjoy. If you enjoy the podcast, it will be massively appreciated if you could give us a rating, a review, or you can share this with your friends or family. We would absolutely love you to do that and it would mean loads to us in terms of our growth. Uh, and also... We have a new code for a Lifeform discount. So Lifeform mats are the best in the world. And for me, they have been since day one of their launch. We have a new discount code, which is the Hustlers. It gets you money off them. Of course, we get a little kickback as well. Uh, so the code is the Hustlers, all capitals. And that will get you some money off. Honestly unbalanced. I realized in the little research I did before this, we have something unusual in common. Okay, we <laughs> both appear on foot fetish websites. I don't know if you what? knew this about yourself. Do you not know about this? <laughs> what? Yeah. She doesn't know. <laughs> You're killing me right now. No, you. My foot fetish website. So if if you just Google like Mia Togo feet, you're probably doing that now, aren't you? If you Google yeah. it, like you, you you appear on I think one called Wiki, Wiki Feet and one called Celebrity Feet. Like I'm not on them, but I I've appeared on some uh, Instagram feeds with we you know that are dedicated to feet. We were Make just we were just chatting about whether you knew or not. We were like placing bets, but you you obviously didn't know. What is this like people that think I have nice, nice feet? Yes, 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 yes. you got four four out of five stars, Mia. That's quite impressive. Yeah, you're, you're. I don't even show my feet because I have hammer toes <laughs> and they're they call them duckbill platypus feet because they're wide. I'm like, what is people are crazy. People <laughs> love them. No, do you know what? I love you. You do always talk about your feet, but you, I think you've got really nice feet. And someone else does um, as well. Lots of people do, yeah. clearly. I'll just have to take that. I have, I like my arches. Yes. <laughs> there's, there's even like uh, lots of photos of you on one of them. I saw lots of photos there. They don't know your birthday, but they kind of guessed your birth year. They've got like extra details. I'm just going to go and check that now. Yeah, you, you have a little look at that. But on that <laughs> note, on that note, the, que <laughs> the question What's the question The question here? then follows that. So we're not, we're no. not going to be particularly linear today in our direction. But the question okay. that follows is in this very weird environment, like you've been teaching yoga, I think I mean, since 2004. So a long time. And at that point, like social media wasn't a big thing. There probably weren't that many foot fetish websites and alike. <laughs> so you're navigating this yoga world now that is full 
full of social media and Twitter and Facebook. And they are tools. They are like marketing tools, which is there's nothing wrong with that. We've always had marketing tools. But how have you found the kind of it's changed the yoga industry or how are you how are you using these tools? That's a great question, um, because also, you guys, you know, I've done a lot of teacher trainings for yoga, yoga works. It's the school that I come from originally, and I've led teacher trainings and I keep seeing each time that I do one that becomes more and more um, a point, a topic. It's like, what do we do? How do we promote ourselves? And I never feel like I'm the expert in that at all. So I always bring somebody else in to talk about that. Um, and so as I've navigated the social media um, world, I just really have to keep doing what I think is authentic. Mm -hmm. And that feels right for me. Um, you know, I've always had a website. I've always been able to put myself out there that way, but I don't, I don't really use Facebook anymore. I used to, I don't really, I don't really tweet. I just, I primarily use Instagram. And then I, for me too, having an email newsletter, I have a, a pretty big um, email, e email newsletter letter. Um, base that I send out what's going on and, and what's coming up because I found that social media and this is my experience this may not be true for everyone does not as a yoga teacher that how many followers I have on Instagram has never translated to how many people show up for my classes mm. um, and even when I moved to try yoga and I was really this is what I was really impressed about try yoga too when I was you know meeting with them because my really good friends from you know LA and yoga works got me you know and made the introductions and they knew my background and, you know, come from Mati, Ezrati and the yoga works. And, um, and, and they were like, we really, what we're interested in is the authenticity of your teaching and the experience of professionalism. We don't mm. care how many social media followers you have. Mm. And I was like, this is where I want to teach. Yeah. Yeah. This is a school. There's yeah. a difference between a studio that cares about that and a school, because I feel like if you're putting too much energy on your pretty poses and I'm not hating on that. I'm just saying if you're putting too much energy on that, you're not really developing yourself as a teacher or mm -hmm. developing your, your skills and tools um, and a lot of the things that you're going to be able to translate or teach from a very authentic embodied place. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, there's nothing wrong with putting up pretty images, but they have to have the substance to follow it. Um, and I've seen a mix. I've seen a mix of people who are really good. They're just really good at doing that. And, mm -hmm. in, and I'm an older generation too, so it just isn't natural. And, and I have help. I have somebody who doesn't do my posting for me, but she helps me with my social media because she's a millennial and mm. she knows, you know, I know that that's not my strong point and I don't want to put my energy and, and emphasis there. I have to keep developing my content. I'm a life coach too. So I spend not only teaching my classes, but I work one-on-one -on -one with clients, like usually like three to four clients a day. So oh, wow. it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. So it's a lot that I'm managing. Um, but that's where I think, you know, the yoga is so powerful is, is you, you know, Holly too, yeah. I talk about the inner work, like yeah. really doing the inner work. You, you, what you just said there about uh, try yoga and it being a studio rather than I forget what the school other rather than a, school. A, school rather mm. than a studio. Mm -hmm. It made me think there's actually almost three types of yoga teacher. There are the instructors in a sense, that's right. Mm. there are yeah. the teachers <laughs> and yeah. then there are also, I guess, the yoga models. <laughs> yes. And I guess you can be, you could be all three of them. Like I know some teachers that look great doing poses and can happily like instruct a class and also mm -hmm. really teach yoga. But often I think the more recently qualified teachers tend to veer down the yoga model route. And as you said, mm -hmm. there's often not a correlation between, you know, unless you have more than like 100,000, even 400,000 followers. There's not a correlation that much between followers and people coming to regular dropping classes. That might mm -hmm. be different maybe with 
to a degree like maybe uh, retreats where you need a little bit more reach or international workshops. So in day-to-day dropping classes, mm. I say there's not that much correlation or even correlation between your ability to do a crazy pose and your quality of teaching. Oh, absolutely. Because my background, I don't know if you know this, but I was a, I was a professional dancer when I was like from 19 to like 29. Um, and some of the best dance teachers were not necessarily the best dancers, you know, but they knew how to transmit. They knew how to inspire. They knew how to, the mechanics, like all of that, just because someone can actually do the, the poses or the moves doesn't necessarily make them uh, the best teacher in terms mm. of um, you know, transmitting the information and the wisdom that they carry. Um, and some is, people, and, and having, sorry, having been a dancer, I also saw when I started, entered the, the yoga world, if you're a, a gymnast or a dancer, or you can step into a yoga class, literally one of my good friends, he used to be in Cirque du Soleil. Mm. And he loved mm-hmm. taking my classes. He's like, I love the soulfulness you bring. He's like, I can do all those poses because I was, I'm a gymnast. He's like, that's not yoga for me. So I'm not saying that the poses aren't the yoga, but it can get too much emphasized on the sort of three ring circus feel. Mm. And that isn't necessarily doing the work and dropping into the places that yoga takes us when we slow down, you know? It's quite, it's so hard, I find, to represent yourself in that way authentically, you know, when all the people you know, with all the followers are the ones that are posting the pictures themselves doing these amazing poses. And it's kind of dangerous in a way because you think you see someone, you know, contorting themselves in a circus like way. And you think that's, you know, is that really teaching a safe practice? But then you see the numbers and then you, it's, so I've personally found it really hard to represent myself authentically on Instagram without putting those amazing shots up. Does that make sense? Totally. And I think you've done a really good job, um, Holly, of the way you've represented yourself and oh. and just been really honest and authentic. I think you're doing a really beautiful job of that. Um, I commend you because oh, it's yeah. so easy to go the other. It is so yeah. easy to go the other route. Into but the that teachers track. that I really res- respect and I, I not that I don't respect the other ones. I don't want to say that. Mm. It's just the ones that I tend to um, uh, what's the word? connect with. Yeah. And kind of same on the same frequency aren't posting a lot of pictures of themselves mm. doing fancy poses they're posting their life they're posting their they're, they're talking about politics they're talking about what they believe in how they stand to me to das is like how do you stand in your truth mm. what are you willing to you know activate and and as a yogi go out and be inclusive and if you're posting a lot of bendy pictures and it's very exclusive. It, it just feels like people, I've heard this from so many people, I'm like, I can't do that. I'm not skinny. I can't mm. contort. I'm like, it's not about that. But those are this, a lot of times the messages that are being sent. And it's the opposite of what yoga is actually, I think, saying. It's, totally. it's really hard to navigate. Cause I, I, you can almost mm-hmm. guarantee, you know, when BKS Iyengar was promoting his yoga, and he did, he promoted it. There were photos taken of BKS Iyengar and videos taken of his yeah. classes. What did he mainly do? The crazy stuff. Yeah, the Badakanasi with his feet under his chin. And and I'm sure if you know, David Swenson had a flyer at some point, yeah. were, you know, even now it's a crazy pose that he does that gets people drawn into the workshop. And it's, it's really hard to find that balance. Yeah. And for, for new teachers, it's especially hard because it they is. compare yeah. themselves to the other young teachers and then they haven't built a mailing list. And I think as an aside, mailing lists are probably the best way to connect. Because what you're getting there is not ma- not necessarily many. It depends on how long. I know my teacher's got like Jason Crandall, a ridiculous number on his mailing list. But even mm-hmm. if you don't have loads, you have super engaged people that have taken multiple steps to want to connect with you. And that's yeah. what's going to sell a retreat more than the 20,000 people who skim past you with your leg behind your head. 
And I do those things. <laughs> but, <laughs> Definitely do. Yeah. But, it doesn't, yeah. but it doesn't get that much interaction. It really doesn't. Mm. Yeah. And I found like, I'm, I mean, I can too. I have pictures of, you know, I can do a lot of fancy poses, but I just, it doesn't feel right for me mm. to post them and go, Ooh, look at, I, I'm like, okay, that that's never been the emphasis of who I am as a teacher. Um, and especially the way I teach of, of really breaking down component parts and understanding the mechanics and, and just everyone's going to have a difference. You're just built differently. Mm-hmm. Like they're just some, I call, like I have T-Rex arms. <laughs> me I call too. my T-Rex arms. <laughs> and when I sit in Dondasana, my hands, you know, staff pose, my hands don't reach the floor. I'm the same. So, me too. Yeah. Follow, follow and T-Rex. Just, yeah. <laughs> and there's just different things. I'm like, I am not going to torture myself to get in that damn pose anymore. I'm exactly. like, I'm done. Yeah. I, I don't need to do that. I don't need to prove to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> do, you th- do you think the yoga world, it needs to be in this space at the moment though? Because obviously we're all on a mm-hmm. journey together and it's never going to be perfect. It's always a work in progress. So is this where it needs to be right now, along with everything else that's going on in 2020? I think so. And I think that's a great question because I think 2020 is such a shifting, um, resetting, deconstructing, unpacking, really looking at our shit. Mm. I mean, our shit Mm -hmm. individually and collectively. And to me, that is what... But yoga says, like, I love the glaciers. I always go back to the glaciers, the afflictions, the obstacles. It says right in there, it's like, you're going to be ignorant. Mm-hmm. Make no mistake. You're going to attach. You're going to avoid. Your ego's going to take over and you're going to cling to life as you know it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I can see that so much this year. Like, I want to cling to this. I want to cling to that. And it's bringing up uncertainty, control issues. Um, and that's, I think, in the big picture, what we need for transformation. And yes, do we have to have difficult, hard conversations? Fuck yeah. yeah. That's my question. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. like let's let's be resilient and be able to have some some difficult conversations. Because if we really believe in this yoga stuff, mm. <laughs> we really do, like we're all we're all connected. It's like we're all part of this um reality that we're seeing out here. So what's our part? you know, Mm -hmm. and you are different than me, but yet at the same time, if I can't understand you, or if I don't, if I can't lean into my own judgments and unpack them and and have some understanding and create dialogue, then communications break down. And then I don't really see how yoga is is serving because yoga to me is an artfulness as well, Mm. opening those, those lines of communication within and with each other, like really collective care. So yeah, for collective care, we need to open up the dialogue. Yeah. And it all starts with us, doesn't it? Coming to the mat and, and working out what's going on within us before we can hope to help the rest of the world. Oh my God, definitely. Because mm. I, I look at myself, the first like five or 10 years of my practice, I was so attached to doing it right and doing it strong. Yeah. And and but and I need, that's why I look at sometimes newer practitioners or teachers and that's okay. Like you kind of have to go, do, mm. not yeah. you don't have to, but a lot of times you have to go through the whole three ring circus so. and go figure it out your yeah. way so that they're on a journey. It's like a start. Just, it's like yeah. a starting point, isn't it? I think you have to start yeah. at that place to realize that that's not what it's all about. Uh, yeah. And it's like, oh it, my it's, God, yeah. it's almost like, <laughs> it doesn't matter how you started yoga. And I think now more than ever, there's so many more access points. You know, you could start yoga as a solution as I did almost to my boxing. Like I wanted to open up from boxing constantly and yoga was just a physical antidote to that. Some mm-hmm. people might start yoga because they did gin yoga or something or like yoga with goats. But I think as long as... <laughs> All right, we've gone too far. But, just I'm, I'm yet to try this. <laughs> but, as, but, as, but I think every, everyone at some point who practices yoga, or a lot of people end up really finding a practice eventually. And I think for a lot of people coming yeah. to a, a studio <laughs> like Try Yoga 
which is what you know is is diverse, massively diverse in what they offer. But that might be yeah. a, a step too far from what they're used to. Mm. And if what they need to do is do a yoga class in a CrossFit studio for a year, just to get into just it, just to get into yeah. it, that's absolutely fine. And eventually, mm. everyone's practice completely evolves, doesn't it? Mm. It does. And it's funny, it just made me think of when I was newer to the practice and I was, I had, I, I thought I understood a lot, which I didn't. And I still remember one of the senior Iyengar teachers, this is when I was newer, um, came and subbed for a vinyasa teacher, like a strong vinyasa teacher. And it was an Iyengar class that she slowed it down. I didn't know Chris at the time. And then I was such an asshole. I looked back <laughs> at myself just thinking, oh my God, when is she going to go? When are we going to move? When is she? And I ended up leaving the class. Did and you? years later, oh, I was, and it was fine. But then years later, I'm like, what? In, that was such a, but <laughs> I never forgot that class. And years later, I talked to Chris Stein, is an Iyengar, a senior Iyengar teacher. Yeah. Works. I'm like, Chris, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm oh. like, what an asshole that was. She laughed. Or, you know, I think, I don't remember what her response was, but. Um, she understood. And I look at that. And so it gives me compassion when people come to my class and I'm talking, I'm having my, you know, opening talking, you just see the eye or like, yeah. I tell us, when are we going to move? When are we going to move? I'm like, oh, I get it. I could so be that, that yeah. person. Yeah. And you just, everyone's on their own journey. So I look back at my mistakes and foibles and go, okay, yeah. you know, we're all doing it in our own timing. As, as a side note, how do you deal with that? Mm. Or have you got better at dealing with that when you're in a class and like and someone, someone leaves, like, leaves or gives you a dirty look or you can tell they're not enjoying it uh, or they give you or they write down some negative feedback after class? <laughs> like how, do, how, do, how have you dealt with that? Or how have you got better at dealing with that? I drop into my golden light and I, no, I'm just <laughs> you know what it is? I talk about a lot of the, the inner work that I do, like with my clients is too about projection. And I always say, if you're triggered and off center, you're, you're, you're going to project because mm. someone has activated something inside of you yeah. and it's your shit basically. I mean, what you're seeing, it's not that it's not true. It's not either or it's both. So I think a lot of the inner work that I do about myself, like really owning, I know this sounds weird, but like, Owning my asshole, or <laughs> this sounds weird. Next Owning the parts of myself that are not always kind, mm. right? That are not always um, my judgmental side or my ego side or my whatever. Mm. Like it's part of my human side and it's also where my fear sits. It's really fear. Yeah. So if I learn to rinse and process my own fear voices and take ownership of them, when I'm around somebody who activates that, I don't personalize it. I think one of the biggest gifts we can give ourselves as teachers is to depersonalize people's stuff. Mm. When you step in front of a class, people will project onto you the great, sometimes too much idolizing stuff, which I really try and not, not mm. encourage at all. Mm -hmm. um, no guru shit for me. That just doesn't work. And also they'll project the negative. I mean, they're going to project not always, but a lot of times. And when the eye roll or the, I'm like, okay, they're just having a hard time. Mm. If it triggers me and it takes me off my center, I got some work to do when I get home mm. because you have to hold space to keep holding space. It's what I call, and I've talked to you about that, that screen door. Yeah. It's like, take the energy in and let the energy out, but don't soak it in. Mm. And at the same time, you don't want to put up a wall. and like, I'm going to stay separate from you. Mm. Um, so I think that part, that really helps me to not personalize people's stuff mm. because then I can't hold space. I'll be worried about what they think and I'll change myself. And I have done a lot of work on myself to stay authentic to my voice. And I know just walking in front of someone, we all have, you know, prejudices and biases and we, we, just see things from our own filter. Yeah. So that's going to happen. 
right? Yeah. And that's okay. That's okay. Mm. As a side, a side question. Yeah. What about the other way? When you have like students being like, oh, I love you so much. You're the best. And like coming up to you at the end of class, like kneeling on the mat and praising you. Like, do you do the same with the overtly good feedback? Do you kind of distance yourself from that as well? Because that's, mm. that's the thing that lures people into that as teachers. When some, you teach your first class and someone mm-hmm. says, oh my God, that's the best class ever. And suddenly your mm-hmm. ego goes through the roof. Like, how would you manage that side it's of things? It's real in the ego. Yeah, I, I do my best to not take it personally either. Mm. Because I know, I've been teaching a long time, that person that loved me and worship me that if they're in worship mode, if they're in worship mode, they're in power under, yeah. meaning they're putting me up on, they're up, mm. putting me in power over. The moment I do or say anything that triggers them or takes me off the pedestal, they're gonna put me down. Whether or not I know it, It's there's a power dynamic that is out of balance. So I do my best to go, I, I do my best to not take, take it in or I, can, I mean, I'll say thank you, thank you. And you know, I hope you enjoyed your class, but I don't let it be like, uh, I don't, d- let it feed me in any way because I know the difference when it's they're putting you up on a pedestal is they will take you down in a moment yeah. mm. if you upset or trigger them Yeah, because it's not balanced power and that's okay. So that's why I really do my best to kind of be as neutral as possible mm. to that kind of feedback. Do you have a, a kind of daily practice <clears throat> to keep yourself in check or do you just, I know it's not like, oh, I've done the inner work. I don't need to do any more now, but do you have mm. things that you do to keep you in center? Yeah, I think my my practice, you know, beyond my asana practice is I, I do, um, it's very much what I learned with my teacher. Her name is Mona Miller. Mm. She's passed on. She's not a yoga teacher, but she worked with a lot of yoga teachers. And Sean Korn mentions her, mentions her in her, her book. And I started working with her in my 20s. And so before I was ever stepped into a yoga studio, I was actually in my <laughs> backgrounds in psychology. Mm was learning how to rinse my fears, my upsets, my angers, my shadow to process what the truth was because there was something in my unconscious that was um, feeding this, this, this way of behaving that I understood intellectually so well, but it kept playing it out. Yeah. So there was parts of myself that I needed to own. And it, I don't think it ever goes away completely, but part of my work is to show up each day and drop into what is upsetting or off-putting or processing what that truth is or some days you know it's it's a lot easier but really taking ownership of um all the voices that's why i love Rumi's guest house like who's showing who's showing oh, up today that. yeah who's coming to the table mm. so i really I mean, what's, just, what's this what's Rumi's guest house tell, tell. it's um <laughs> It's a poem, Rumi's Rumi's poem. It's it's the guest house. It's like what what sorrow, what joy has shown up at the table today, and can you welcome everyone to the table? Because mm. we live in, and Holly knows this too, mm. such a good vibes only. Um, yes, you know, not in this house. Kind of, <laughs> no, <laughs> not if you live with I Adam. <laughs> I think good vibes only is like give me a lobotomy, and then good, it'll be good vibes only. Or you know, let me have it. I think it's such addict energy that it creates. Like you've got to feel good all the time. You yeah. have to live up. Yeah. We I'm like, no, fuck no. Are you kidding me? (laughs) You live long enough. You're going to go through heartbreak. You're going to go through loss. You have to, you know, your dog to sleep. Someone dies. It's like, no, you're not, your vibes are not going to be good. They're not, but they're not bad either. And we cut off bad and we put so much judgment on sadness, anger, pain. I'm like, you got to learn how to drop into your pain and work it. 
So for me, the practice is dropping into what I'm feeling, what I'm feeling, because there's a truth there that I need to acknowledge and own. If I distanced it because I don't like it, because I'm calling it bad or I have a judgment, I don't get to learn from it. Mm. And I'll just keep avoiding mm-hmm. and avoiding. And this is where my teacher would say, you yoga teachers are sitting in dirty water in your meditation. Mm. And I, for me, that's the truth. If I sit there and try and meditate while there's all of this stuff brewing underneath, it's like I'm skating around when my students said, it feels like I'm skating around a frozen ice bed. Like mm. I have to get down underneath it and clear it out, then sit in the meditation, process the feelings and take ownership and go, okay, what is this teaching me? And that's, you know, this isn't going to be true for everyone. And I know, it, but that's my, how I work through my process. And I feel like it allows me to authentically be with, um, my humanity, my humanness, my muckiness, mm. you know, as also a teacher, I think it's very spiritual. There, there must be kind of a fine line, I guess, to, between kind of ruminating in it and actually working it out. And like, how mm-hmm. do you navigate that? How do you work out whether actually I'm just indulging? Yeah, we talk about this a lot, yeah. don't we? What, what, yeah. what, do you have any advice for finding that line? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, this may, so there's a, the work of some, a, a trauma specialist, um, his name is Peter Levine. And he, you know, he talks about like, um, or shows, and I'm summarizing this, animals in the wild when they go through trauma and where they're being hunted and chased down. And the, one is like this polar bear that's running through the tundra and they're chasing it and they shoot it with a dart gun, but it thinks it's, you know, running for its life. And when the polar bear wakes up, it just shakes its whole body. Mm. It shakes the trauma off and it gets up. And like nothing ever happened. It just trots away. It's like, okay, just come on, let's shake go play. it off. Mm. Shake it off. But we go through trauma and we go through wounding and we can carry ancestral trauma and we can go through a lot of stuff. We hold it and hold mm. it and hold it. And so it's unconsciously informing how we see the world and our mm. conscious choices. And that part of us wants to be, it's like making the unconscious conscious so we can heal it. Mm. So the work that I did with Mona for many years and I still do is physical rinse. Mm. It's going to sound crazy to some of y'all, but I don't care. I, I have a tennis racket or a bopper and a pillow. And when I feel my body like this, I rinse it. It can be sadness. It can be anger. It can be pain. Let's say someone triggers me. I'd give it worth. It's not necessarily the truth, but I rinse it out so I can do it. Like, fuck you. I'm so angry. I'm so sad. I'm so hurt. I let my feelings rinse. I don't stay there because then you're, that's what I'm hearing too, Mm. Adam. It's like, well, you're stuck. I let them, I give them worth meaning. I let them have their say and then I cross their moment. (laughs) And then I flip the lens. This is the hard part. I flip the lens. I'm like, okay, sister. So I talk to myself, what is that bringing up in you? Is that going back to a abandonment issue that you have because you know, stuff I had, you know, that I went through with my mom, or is this bringing up a tender place that you need to hold and nurture your inner child or your little girl? Is this something you need to bring in some tenderness and taking ownership of that? So I don't keep trying to find it or fix it or enable. And it's really taking ownership of my own healing. Mm -hmm. It's actually quite liberating. It, It also allows you to be in the mucky murky parts of our humanness and not um, I, I just read Glennon Doyle's book, which I really loved, and it's called Untamed. Untamed. I've, this, is yeah. the, this is the fourth time I've heard this 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 month, mm. so it's, I'm taking it as a sign to read it. <laughs> 
And it's coming back to, I'm a damn cheetah. I am not the, nothing against, I think it's a golden retriever that has like a pink bunny. It's like, we've all been so domesticated to just be so nice and say the right thing. And did, 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 it's a good vibes only. I'm like, fuck that. I am a cheetah. Mm. And it allows me to get to my cheetah energy for lack of a better word and give it worth. So I can move that energy in a healthy way and take ownership and empower myself. So I'm not going out in the world in the, trying to overpower somebody or put myself down and like, oh, you're my guru. You have all the answers. Mm. I'm like, well, that's not empowerment either. Mm. It's taking the power back and taking accountability for that power. Mm. I, um, love that. I knew I could. Do, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Your question? Yeah. And we're, we're always going to have shadows, right? We're not always just going to be these beings of light with no dark corners. It's just about, like you say, taking ownership of your shadow and almost making friends with him slash her so that you can manage life <laughs> manage life better and do you think the, yeah. I, th- I think the yoga it, i always imagine life being like a roller coaster you know up and down up and down up and down and i think over time yoga mm. has helped me the highs haven't been so high but equally the lows haven't been so low yeah I've, and i've i've more quickly come back to the middle so it's not to yeah. say i just want to be in the middle all the time mm-hmm. but i don't get pulled either direction yeah. but that equally applies to the good stuff when I'm in a, an amazing place, I'm not like, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm still there. <laughs> I just, you know, it just comes. Uh, how, yeah, equi- it's a more equanimity there. It's like, yeah. okay, let's, and ride the waves, right? Yeah, just, yeah. I just flow. Do, yeah, flow, do you well. think that's a more masculine thing? Maybe this is really sexist, but to always kind of be more balanced in the middle and it's more of a kind of feminine thing to really feel the highs and the lows because I'm, I'm, yeah, still feeling those. <laughs> I don't know. I know a lot of guys, but you know, I'm from California, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got a lot of wacky people out yeah, there. Yeah, in yeah. a good way. <laughs> when you first started teaching, so I read somewhere mm-hmm. that you you weren't sure about whether teaching or not, you moved and some of and you identified mm-hmm. there was something missing in the classes that you were attending. And some of your friends said, Well, whatever's missing, maybe you can do a teacher training and bring that. Uh to, to the yoga world. I read that in an interview somewhere. So when you first started teaching, what what were you trying to teach? Were you trying to teach just physical? At that point, had you already co- come to the realization that yoga is more than that? And what did you want to be teaching when you decided you wanted to teach yoga? Because as, as, as an extension to that, I think mm. a lot of people want to be yoga teachers, but don't necessarily want to teach yoga but they want the life of a yoga teacher. Ah, mm. uh, that's a great point. So yeah. you, you had already decided yeah, yeah, yeah. not just that you wanted, you, in fact, the fact you wanted to become a teacher was secondary. You wanted it, but there was, you wanted to teach something and it just so happened that to teach that, you're going to be a yoga teacher. So can you just talk around that a little bit? Oh, that's an interesting point, Adam. And I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I think when I, honestly, when I was, I'm going to go back. Like, so, I grew up kind of in a rural area and, and I, fortunately I had a horse, which was awesome. And mm. I used to go out on my horse in the hills. This wasn't like a privilege. <laughs> I just went in the hills by myself. And I really felt like that's when I started to learn to meditate and talk to God. That was my mm. time to talk to God. And it felt like it was a very native American area and it was very spiritual to me. And I remember sitting out there going, yeah, the world is really fucked up and humans. I don't know. I was like, I don't, I always felt like kind of otherish. Like I don't really fit into this world. And I remember, this is so specific. I remember thinking, you're gonna have to learn how to, like this is your spiritual work. You're gonna have to learn how to be in the world and and work through all of these uncomfortable 
feelings. And this is at a very young age. So I think as I kind of forwarded into my 19, 20, 21, that's when I started studying psychology. I'm like, oh my God, I gotta figure some stuff out. This is part of me understanding myself and the world in which I live because I don't, I wanted to drop into that. So that's when I started that. And I started working with Mona, my teacher, Mona Miller around, I think I was 27 or 28. And then through that, people, a few people said, you should go to yoga. And I was like, because I was a dancer too. And I was like, yoga will be such like a, a natural tra- uh, progression. And I went to a yoga class and I hated it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, was yeah. did you? I did. I was like, okay, this is way too airy fairy for me. I'm like, no, I'm not going to like navel gaze. And it just, I was like, no. And then someone said, try it again. So I did like a year later, I took a class and then I liked it more, but it felt like it was a club that I was not a member. It felt very intimidating because mm. even the word practice, I'm like, well, oh, I don't understand. <laughs> Why do I have to have a yoga practice? (laughs) So I was like, oh no, about this yoga thing. So I really was not love at first sight. But then I found as I dropped in, what I really loved was the connection because I was a dancer already. So I kind of was in my body, but the connection to my hurt places, my wounded places, the places that needed a lot of love. And um, and it didn't mean that I didn't force and be totally coercive in my practice. I mean, that was part of it. But I think that's what really fed me. And so later, yes, I moved from LA to Long Beach, which isn't the biggest move, but I moved away from my studio and I took some classes and I was like, wow, it's really something's missing. And that's when someone said, why don't you become a yoga teacher? And I never even thought I would, I, I, I've put it on such a, uh, what's the word, such high regard that when you're a teacher, you're holding so much space. I think you're not ready to teach personally until you're older. That was my feeling because you got to live some life and Mm. go through some stuff. And I was like, okay, let's try it. Let's see how it goes. Um, And then when I, you know, dropped into it, I loved it. And, and I just felt this was a way for me to transmit what I, the artfulness of sequencing and also the aligning with your breath and the align the alignment and the attunement to the deeper layers as well. So I feel like I came into it wanting to come from that place. Mm. Um, and there's nothing wrong with being a younger teacher. I'm not saying that there is, but I just wouldn't at that point in my life, the way that I was taught in the, the school that I come from at Yoga Works, I just put it on such a, a, a level of, um, admiration and respect and i was like oh can i do this <laughs> that's I, how i felt can i can i talk talk around that in another way i think it's yeah. less about necessarily age but my mm-hmm. view is that you've had a long-term practice and yeah. have lived through that and uh, have applied your your long-term yoga practice to your life so i, I yeah. think it's less about age directly it's but having an experience of practicing yoga and applying that to your daily life and inevitably that will have gone through some ups and downs and shit but I think right. not not age in itself, but knowledge of how a yoga practice can apply, I think is really uh, is really important. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm because I've also worked with some yoga teachers that um, you know when I've, I've led teacher trainings that have lived some some life mm. by the time they are like twenty minute twenty one, mm-hmm. they have lived some life and they are so they're old souls or whatever it yeah. is. They've just have dropped in and they've gone through a lot. And I'm not saying you have to go through a lot of adversity, but you do have to have something in your 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 tool belt, you know, to, to pull from. And that does take experience, mm. life experience. And that's, but that is, the adversity is, is when you learn about yourself. Yeah, hugely. Yeah. And I think it's sure. especially even chosen adversity, I think, mm-hmm. when you could quit, like whether it be running an ultra marathon or <laughs> in some situation choosing adversity because you know it will help you grow. 
I think it's a wonderful thing. It's a lovely microcosm of living uh, of living life, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think, like you said, adversity that you choose and adversity that comes to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I think it's so important to look at your struggles and your the things that we deem as mistakes. You can't. I always think like how do, you can't know who you are if you don't know who you're not. Sometimes the pendulum, mm. like, you know, mm. who I was when I took that anger class. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to date this. Mm. I was like, wow. But that was a great, it was a great learning tool. And I got to be humbled and mm. I got to go, wow, you need to learn. And, 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 you know, that's just a simple example of some major stuff that takes us down. Do you feel that when you first started teaching, you were teaching from a real authentic place? Or because I know, you know, when first when teachers first start out, me as well, you don't really know what you're doing. You're very new, and you feel like you need to, you know, yeah. perform almost and, and not bring your struggles and the things that make you who you are to the mat. So, did you ever struggle with that and find that a challenge, or did you feel really natural in bringing everything to your teaching? <laughs> Excuse me, that's a great question. Um, you know, when I went through my teacher training, my teacher trainers said to me, they're like, you're just a natural teacher. Mm. They just, they, cause I had taught dance. I had taught horseback riding. So I taught, but I also had taught, I had practiced at yoga works for so long that I really understood I, the smart sequencing and the component parts. It was just really in me. Mm. And so I was really encouraged to like, you don't even need to go through an advanced training. We just want you to start teaching. I'm like, oh. okay. <laughs> so I did start teaching, but I think because I had done all that work with Mona and so much of the inner work, I, I just dropped that into my own, in my own authentic way. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say I didn't have nerves, but people really resonated with that. And it felt like I wasn't, I wasn't trying to build a following. And I did. I, I mean, my class is built quite quickly mm. um, because people, I think, appreciated that part of the, the teaching that I was bringing. Mm. Um, and it felt that's, that's my, that's just my authentic way of sharing what I connect to in my practice or what yoga means to me. Were you ever resistant about doing your work with Mona? Because obviously that was, that must have been really intense and you had to go through a lot with her. Was that, was that something you had to kind of force yourself to do because you knew that you had to do some inner work to be, you know, the best version of yourself or was there a lot of resistance around that initially? Um, that's a great question too, because yeah, I mean, I really wanted to do the work. I think sometimes people ask me, they're like, when do you know, because it was intense. Yeah. And I said, you know, you just get, you get to a point where you're just so sick of your own bullshit mm. that you're like, I'll do whatever it takes, even if it's hard. Mm. Um, and that's how I felt. I felt like there was something, cause I, I had gone to therapy and therapy just wasn't doing it for me because it was too heady and I'm really can go heady, yeah. but she knows she knew how to, to strip away and drop in. And it was, mm. yeah. Sometimes my resistance was like, I'm not going to my, I'm not going to my session. I'm yeah. canceling my session. Yeah. Or I don't want to do that work. And she never gave up and she never gave up on me. She never gave up on the people that she worked with. Mm. She was such, we used to say she was just like touched by an angel yeah. <laughs> for lack of a better word. Mm. She really touched quite a few of us in such a profound way. And so what, so Mona, what was her profession? What, what, how, what noun would you use to describe herself? I think she, you would say life coach before life, life coach, coach was a thing. Yeah, okay. it wasn't even a thing. But I mean, that was that was that wasn't really happening. But what I loved about her, her work was she would just work with each person so individually, and you, she would just drop in and. and be able to access and help somebody find access those places that a lot of people had so much hurt and pain and trauma and wounding. And mm. um, I just saw her do so much work that helped a lot of people heal some really, oh. some really dark places. Mm, she sounds amazing. And how, how did you find her? Yeah, were you, were you actively searching? Was she recommended to you? What was? I actually found her because my ex-boyfriend at the time 
um, leave it to relationships. <laughs> we had a lot of conflict and there was a lot of, um, you know, it was just tumultuous. And so he and his, he had two brothers and his dad were all addicts. They were all, um, but they were recovering. So they're all recovering addicts. So I was like, well, I'm in this family for a reason. All dudes, <laughs> all addicts. I'm not, I mean, I never, that's never been my thing, but mm -hmm. I, what I learned is I had a different kind of, um, connection to that. And so in our relationship, because there was so much stuff going on, I was like, you know, let's go to, they were working with Mona, his brother okay. and his dad. Yeah. And it was really, it was really special. And they're like, let's go. And so we did a lot. And what's kind of crazy y'all is that his name was Conrad and we did this work for, with each other and we grew and we, we healed and wow. we did a lot of work. And then we ended up separating, which was fine. We still, or we still have a lot of love for each other. Mm. Well, what's kind of crazy is when right before Mona was killed in a car accident, I hadn't seen him in years. And um, I was seeing her again. And she's like, you know what? Conrad's back in town. I think he, he lived in Hawaii. He moved to Hawaii. And she said, I think you guys should have a session together just to do some healing. There's just some, there's something that needs some closure. I'm like, it's been like several years. I'm like, I'm fine. And I was like, okay, Mona, I trust you. Yeah. Um, and so we had this appointment to go see her together and we hadn't seen each other in quite a few years, but it was still, like I said, a lot of love. That morning I was supposed to go see her with him and I got a call from him and I was like, Hey, I'm going to see you in a bit. That's I, you know, look forward to seeing you. He's like, I don't know how to tell you this. Oh. He's like, Mona's been killed in a car accident. Oh my gosh. And you're going to see So him. it was like, she was bringing us together to heal something and she, through her death, there was just, it, it just shattered so yeah. many, so many people, but it, it, there was something very meaningful about that, um, in so many different ways. Um, oh my gosh. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> do you think that people and circumstances come into your life to help you grow and to teach you lessons? Or do you think that things are just chance and random? Oh, I think people come in, I think we're attracted, whether we know it or not, to certain people and experiences specifically for that, for yeah, our own growth. Yeah. And it's not always easy. And sometimes they don't show up in pretty pictures. Sometimes it can be really quite challenging. Mm. And sometimes people ask me that even in relationships. They're like, you know, I, I don't know if I should stay or I should go. I'm like, just keep doing the work and just keep showing up and turn, keep flipping the lens on you. And you'll know when you've healed that, whatever that is, conflict between the two of you or whatever uh, unresolved shadow, then you can walk with clarity because mm -hmm. if you, and it happens, if we don't walk that clarity, we usually bring in something mm -hmm. else and it may not be a romantic partner, but we'll bring in something else. It's like, okay, time to look at this. Yeah. And to me, that's the spiritual work. It's yeah. so beautiful. If you can welcome it as like, yeah, it's funky and it's hard mm -hmm. sometimes, but you also get to know yourself. And I, I so love what you said. This has really changed the way I teach as well, because I used to be, I'm just going to put my hands up and say, I used to be one of the teachers that was like, oh, just leave all your worries at the door, you know, leave the sadness <laughs> behind. And then I rocked up at your class. You're like, bring all your shit to the mat, face it all. I'm like, wow, this is a different way of teaching, but it resonates <laughs> so much. And it's like, if you're doing that, you're denying such a massive part of yourself and what makes you human and the stuff that's actually going to help you to grow so that was a massive yeah. turning point for me it's like actually just looking at your stuff in the face and the yoga journey is a, a brave one isn't it really and, and doing the inner work it's, yeah. it takes a lot of courage mm. to dig up all your shit and um and heal and it is it's all, it, mm -hmm. again it can be a bit of a fine I'm paying devil's advocate slightly it's it's a fine line like you're a very experienced teacher who's done lots of work both with professionals and yourself and i think i've seen younger yeah you know, sometimes teachers 
know, ask people in a public class to go back to their childhood and dig out trauma. Then at the end of class, like, namaste. Yeah. See you <laughs> later. <laughs> <laughs> Off you go. And, and, and that's it. So, Have a great day. <laughs> so, and I think, I think that's so important about teaching yeah. in a way that's true to you mm. and, and, and giving yourself yeah. time to develop as a teacher. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's, again, a, a question I ask you now, because what mm. you've described as your teaching style when you first started teaching, from what I understand, now I haven't been to a class, not through lack of desire. I want to, but <laughs> timings, mm. as is the case, yeah, and London teaching. <laughs> Uh, and and, and I heard so many people say like, you know, she, uh, you're great, me is absolutely great, and she kind of fuses these things together, mm. really similar to what you've des- described. So it seems like on the face of it, how you were teaching back then is very similar to how you're teaching now. But but has your teaching evolved, and how how has it changed and evolved mm. over time? That's a really great question. Mm. I think hmm, I think it's evolved in the sense that I'm just so much more at peace with myself. I I. When I go to teach, I, I mean, I've talked to a thousand people at the Dodger Stadium and people are like, are you scared? I'm like, no, mm. I'm not. I'm excited. And maybe I'm nervous, like I'm excited. Yeah. But I think all the work is like, I like who I am now. Mm. I, I even mm. like the shadowy parts because that makes me who I am. And I remember someone at Tri Yoga in Shoreditch when I, I started teaching there, he was really sweet. He's like, are you, you know, moving to London? Are you going to teach any differently like you did in LA? I'm like, Mm-mm. I said, I spent 20 years of my life being who I am. And I'm like, not everyone's going to like me. Yeah. Some people are going to think I'm a nut. I don't, I don't know, mm-hmm. but I'm not changing me to mm-hmm. accommodate other people's perceptions. Yeah. That's, I, I get to be who I am and that's a, a gift. Mm-hmm. And if I can show up as authentically as possible. Um, and I think that's the difference, Adam, is that I have, you know, there's been times where I've worked through my fears or insecurities, like, am I teaching the right thing? I used to, I used to suffer Annie Carpenter back in the day on Main Street. Oh, and God, Annie's yeah. like a big teacher. Annie's, and Annie's a I was like, being, I was being fed to the wolves. So I was like, ah. <laughs> but it taught me how to really, I mean, I, she was, you know, I, I assisted a couple of teacher trainings with her. So I really learned so much from Annie and not only just learning and watching, but showing up and teaching to a room that was like, so I had to be resilient um Mm. so yeah I think my my capacity to teach you know us and really understanding the mechanics and that part has definitely gotten stronger and leading teacher trainings every time I do a 200 hour training more of a basic it's the same material but I'm still connecting to it different each time so I'm like oh it's making every time it's making me a better teacher Mm. because I get to connect to you know breaking down Serena Mascara this weekend in a new way and so it it, I think just strengthens you the, the longer that you teach. Can you think of any class that you've taught that's just gone horrifically wrong? <laughs> and why? <laughs> I just, I can't imagine you teaching. <sighs> Honestly, every single class I've come to of yours has been pristine. So I just want to hear about one time <laughs> where it's just you gone terrible. You said that one on Wednesday was Shut crap. up! <laughs> <laughs> I think horrifically wrong, no. Mm. Um... I think uh, I remember <laughs> this is one time when I started teaching, it was just, this is just more funny. Mm-hmm. And I had my playlist, you know, we used to use, um, uh, what do you call them? Well, not our phones, but like iPod. I guess yeah, I iPod. Yeah, musical like, the, the old school iPod. Yeah. But for whatever reason, I had my music playing in the class, but I was still a newer teacher. And then in Shavasana song ended and it looped into 
I don't know why. Don't make fun of me. It's a band called A Taste of Honey, and it's a song called Boogie Oogie Oogie. And it, <laughs> I went to A Taste of Honey, and I swear to God, I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe Boogie Oogie Oogie's coming on during Shabbatza. Did you just start dancing around everyone and pretending it's supposed just, to happen? I like, went up there and like, turned it off. <laughs> And I told my friend, I remember Vinny about it. He's like, oh, that is actually really awesome. That's so funny. So, <laughs> so it wasn't really wrong, but it just was like, wow. Yeah. Oh, it's hilarious. <laughs> I, I want to ask just one thing particular about teaching style is you manage to fuse, from what I understand, like I'm, I would call myself an alignment-focused teacher. Like my, mm. my focus is all about the why are we doing it and how are we doing it and education. But you manage to fuse that with all this deeper work. Yeah. Like, and I'm, I can't understand how you, f- I need to witness it, how you found the time, like in a 75 minute <laughs> dropping class to teach both of those things. Mm. Like I just don't, I can't imagine where the time is. So what is, what is your focus when you're sequencing a class? How do you choose what to dedicate time to? Do you have strategies or what are your strategies with regards that? Oh, I think at this point, it's so intuitive. I usually feel it on my mat. Like today, I did more of like a thoracic heart opening, but I knew like, okay, so I know if I'm doing a back, a, a little bit, more. I'm not somebody who does a ton of back bends, but like, I know I'm doing a thoracic heart opening. Um, you know, I have to get, you know, ch- prepare the hip flexors and do shoulder flexion and, you know, neutral alignment of the thigh. So it's like, I have that part. So I kind of think of the, the biomechanics of it. And then I just kind of go and then, and I think about, I, I did a vinyasa workshop for the professional program for yoga work. So we talk about sort of like the koshas, like going into the different sheaths and the different layers. And what is that going to shift energetically? And how is that going to shift, you know, your the intelligence of how you tune into your body and what kind of wisdom so that you get to, you know, the final, the, the anandamaya kosha, who you truly are. So I kind of think of like, even when I do Surya Namaskar A, I'd usually like do five rounds. And I kind of think of it that way. The first round is just like getting out of biomechanics. Mm-hmm. Second round is what's the energy that's moving? third round what's your intent like so I kind of think of it as layer by layer and just same thing when I go into warrior two it's like here's the mechanics because mm. it's important but then what's it aligning with with your breath and your energy and what do you have the strength and the courage to see what is now starting to bubble to the surface when you actually slow down and go into that you know deeper layer uh, mm. and how is that connecting to your wisdom body that's kind of like in a nutshell if you will like how I think about it going deep from the outer the gross, you know, to the subtle, to the causal. And you still manage to give room for silence as well, which is always lovely because you'll say everything as you do and then you'll give that space for people to drop into the pose and just really mm. feel it, which is quite rare actually and yeah. really powerful. It's so important for teachers, but yeah. often, no, so important for, for students, students, but so scary for teachers. Yes. I think some teachers. Yeah, it can be. Yeah, yeah. I think getting, letting that space of silence and let people to, to struggle. I think sometimes yeah. newer teachers tell me that they're like, I don't want to see my students struggle. I'm like, let them struggle. It's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause like you're saying, Adam, like your struggles is where you learn. Yeah. So I'm not there to enable you and, and like, Oh, it's okay. Don't struggle. I'm like, no struggle. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. It has nothing to do with me. Uh, oh, <laughs> Adam, Adam has no problem letting people I'm like, struggle. I'm, not, you? I'm, I'm not here to make you happy. This isn't meant to be a happy experience. <laughs> That's right. I feel the it's, same it's way. It's a practice of self inquiry. This is not, this is not, I don't need to smile. So a question I would have in terms of so you not you're now you know you made a huge success in america you moved to the uk and you're successful here as well and you're still connecting with america like what mm. costs have there been on your way to success like what kind of obviously you did trainings you paid for them you did did some inner work but like how mm. do you be, and of course and this isn't to be again okay, dis- discredited you also 
have natural skill a natural ability to resonate with people and you, you know you can't train that you can enhance it but you can't really give someone that ability to communicate knowledge but what other costs have there been on your journey to being you know a successful respected yoga teacher what costs well i think it's important to remember i didn't uh, well remember it's important me, for me to share too i didn't just go sometimes i see this as like I'm going to go make a name for myself and I'm going to yeah. go put myself out there. And I'm going to mm. be, I never wanted to be a yoga liberty. I just don't, mm. I have <laughs> zero interest. I really don't Love like that. that. Never. I have people reach out to me. I've had a lot of people reach out to me to like promote yoga leggings and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, that did not feel authentic. If yeah. I'm promoting people's stuff. I'm not, uh, uh, it's just yeah. not my thing. Can't do it. It's just not a salesperson. Um, so I knew that from the beginning and I, I always had an, I had another job for years. I worked in the apparel industry and I um, was consult, doing consulting work for like over half of my teaching career because I was able to book my own time. And then I still had a pretty full schedule and I got my coaching certification maybe like seven years ago after or eight years ago. I don't remember. Well, a while ago, but I was still doing other things because I didn't want to struggle financially mm. and put all my eggs in one basket. I've sort of like an investment. I think your portfolio should be diverse. So I had I, my job, the work that I did that brought in income and I was still educating myself and taking workshops and teaching, but I did not rely all of my income on teaching because I knew that it would put me into a state of scarcity. And yeah. if I was in scarcity, I wouldn't be able to stay true to my, mm. my messaging and my teaching and really develop that. Mm. Um, so I think it's important to remember that you just don't get it handed to you. I worked, I worked hard. Mm. I started and when I left Orange, so I started teaching in Long Beach or that area. And then I decided to move back to Santa Monica where I was from. So I'd already built pretty big following down there. And then when I moved to LA, I was like starting all over again, eight people in the class, mm. eight people in Montana, then they moved in Main Street. And then, you know, it built to like 80 people, but it didn't happen overnight. <laughs> it took years. So when I left Santa Monica Main Street, people were like, wow, you are courageous. Cause what I built was, it was hard. I put mm. a lot of time and energy and it didn't happen overnight. It was like, what, 10, 12 years of yeah. doing that. And then when I went to Shoreditch and I had five people again, I'm like, well, here we go. Oh. <laughs> and start over. <laughs> and and you, that was such a huge move from LA. And I know you built your community and you loved it, but it was, was it because you met your German husband on the beach? Am I right? Yeah. I met my German <laughs> husband in Tulum London. in Mexico. Yeah. And, yeah. and then moved to London. Yeah. It's funny because my ex-boyfriend's English. Um, and so I had thought about moving to London. This was a while, a little while ago. And I was like, no, eh, it's not the right time. It's not the right time. So then when I met Jan, my husband, um, I was like, okay, maybe it is. And literally though, you guys, I this is that intuitive part that we tune into. Before I met him, like six months before I met him, I did this little photo shoot thing on a, a horse, because um, a horse is my thing. And I wore this sort of vintage wedding dress. It was really cool. And when I wore this vintage wedding dress, it was fit me perfectly. It was like $200. And the lady's like, you should just keep it. And I was like, I have a feeling I'm going to get married again. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> my best friend who's never been married. She's like, bitch, you better not get married before I do. <laughs> so I kept it. And then I did the teacher training in September. And I said, cause I do a teacher training every year for young works usually. And I said, you know what y'all, I think this is my last training. I just do because something's something big, something's happening. And I think I'm moving next year and getting married. <laughs> I don't know. Wow. So, and yeah. it happened. 
it happened. There was yeah. a lot of moving parts and it's not been a fairy tale yeah. at all. Mm. Um, it's, but there's also been a lot of growth and wisdom. I mean, there's a lot of beautiful stuff, but I don't want people to think, Oh, I moved to London and it was all, you know, just rainbows and <laughs> yeah. unicorns. Yeah. No, it's been hard. <laughs> we are, we're, we're now on like 50 minutes. Oh my so gosh. We're going to do, we're going to do a little few quick fire ones now, if that's okay. okay. What's the worst piece of advice you've been given? <laughs> oh my god this is it, it, yoga related i guess or yoga, yoga clear related, related. Yeah. i don't know i think it's probably social something social media that you have to have a big social media following you got to you know create an image and for me i'm like nah <laughs> what's have you got a favorite mantra or a quote that you live by oh i think it's truth and love Mm. I really, light and love doesn't work for me. Truth and love does. Because mm. if we don't love the truth, all the truths, and we can't love the shadow and the light, and mm. then we don't love all of ourselves, and it's really difficult to love that in other people. So mm. truth and love. Love that. Oh, that's lovely. Don't like my question now. My next yeah. one's going <laughs> to... It's going to be like logistics. Yeah, yeah, my next one is like, is there anything you bought oh. under 100 pounds? I love this though. Anything okay. you bought under 100 pounds recently okay. that has like, is being really good. Like you're like, oh my God, I'm so glad I bought this. An example, I bought recently just as a, a knife sharpener. I've never had a knife sharpener before. Uh. And it's made by the same company that makes AeroPress. It's like a coffee machine, like really simple devices. And also the guy that invented yeah. the Frisbee. And it's just incredible. It was like £10. And that was like game changing for me. Like all my knives are, it's wonderful. It's magical. Wow. I love that. I feel like I'm, well, I, I don't know if this really answers your questions because I was slightly, okay, maybe obsessed is a strong word, but I just had this bug up my butt to get a pair of white Birkenstocks. So that was one of my hmm. um, nice. recent purchases. Yeah, and I love my white Birkenstocks. People look at me funny though because they're so white and they're Birkenstocks. That, that, oh, the soul, like, the soul is white as well, or is the soul still cork? Cork is it cork? Soul, the, no, the soul's cork, and they're very fashionable, I yeah. think. But the top is white. The top okay. is white. Um, so I think those are super cool. Super cool. But yeah. at the same time, my ankle started hurting me after I started wearing them. So I'm like, maybe these weren't the best buy after all. Uh, <laughs> but like, I do like them. I guess they're quite they're from what I understand, super comfortable, but often it's a comfortable shoe that don't allow the kind of the intrinsic muscles in your foot to actually do anything. You're just kind There's of not walk. many that's shoes right. that do though, is there? <laughs> yeah. oh, but, they look, but, they, but they look good and that's all that matters. They're my summer Birkenstocks. <laughs> <laughs> um, if, okay, so a piece of advice for someone who's kind of new to all of this stuff and, and is interested in diving deep and doing some inner work, where would you mm -hmm. tell that person to start? That doesn't need to be quick far. <laughs> Oh, okay. So they would need to, I mean, I think a re resources like reading is, is, a, is a really great help. Reading yeah. a lot of books that feel, that inspire you. Mm. I personally think it's good to do, um, to, to do some coaching work or therapy or therapy. I know therapy is not as big here as it is in the U.S., but for me, like going back to when I was a teenager, I'm like, we work so hard on our intellect. We work so hard on our academics, yeah, but what so about true. our fucking emotions? Yeah. Our feelings are running the boat, people. Mm. So if we don't get clear on that, there's so much that that shedding light on, there's such a stigma. And to me, that's, that's health. Yeah. That is wellness, yeah. physical, mental, emotional mm. health. So really working on that emotional part. It's, mm -hmm. it's bizarre, isn't it, that we don't have more training and teaching on that from from when we're children really you're right it's all about in intellect and academics and where's the talk about emotions i think every, i think if everyone could afford to see a therapist i think everyone should the world I think, would be a better I think place the world would be a better place if everyone can see a therapist but in the meantime go to mia togo's class 
<laughs> That's a good Aww. place to start. And what do you want people to know about you in terms of your social media or alike, like, or your website <laughs> or where you teach? Well, my website is neatogo.com, which I just did a new website, but because of all the COVID stuff, all the pictures are still old pictures, so it's still kind of in transition, but it's good. I like it. Yeah, I looked at it. Um, it looks really to... nice. Really nice, clean website. Mm. You like it? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I kind of cleaned it up, but some of the pictures need to be updated. They're like from a couple of years ago, but that's fine. Whatever. We'll get there. Um, and I have an email newsletter, so if they want to sign up, if you, you know, I usually send out something. Um, I used to do like a little videos that with it. So there's like coaching videos that'll come with it. If you, if you're interested, um, my Insta- Instagram, Facebook is all Mia Togo. I'm not a big Facebook person anymore. I'm more Instagram. I actually really like Instagram, but I really share my, you know, my work. I feel like it's important politically mm. and especially with all of the um, anti-racist work, which I feel is important to mm. be aware of mm-hmm. as well. So yeah. yeah. Awesome. Oh, thank you, Mia. Oh, it's so nice to chat. An absolute pleasure. Mm-hmm. It's You're it, so welcome. And I hopefully, hopefully now I'll finally get to your class at some point. I'm going to drag you along. Yeah. We're going together. Now, now, <laughs> yeah. now schedules yeah. have changed. It's been, it's been an absolute, absolute delight. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you both. I love it. Honestly Unbalanced.